All right, welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is September of 2020. I had to check my notes for the date uh, this time. Did I write? I, I, I'm good enough that I write it on the notes. After years, I finally figured out how to, how to get the month right. Uh, we are three DMs talking about our games, helping each other out. Uh, it is myself, Jeff Greiner. It is Sam Dillon. Say hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. And it's some guy named Mike nobody cares about. Hi, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Except apparently Joe Manganiello, right? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so that's all the intro you get. We're each going to talk wait, about our wait, games for about wait, 15 minutes. I, wait, I would, like, I would like to issue a correction. It is not September. It is March 238th. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who's first? <laughs> uh <laughs> The order will be myself, and then Mike, and then you, uh, and awesome. people should be hanging out with us here on the Twitch stream because um, we start our ne- our, our final uh, Skull Splitter Dice contest giveaway, um, and while I haven't typed up the details on the website yet, the uh, it's all going to be based on the Twitch stream this month, so come win lots and lots of awesome dice from Skull Splitter Dice. Um, which I also don't know exactly what the bundle's going to be yet because I haven't emailed them to get it yet. So that's what happens when you record on the first is I don't have that couple of days to, to sort out the details, but we're charging ahead anyway. All right, so 15 minutes on the clock, and I will start talking about my game. Games? See if I have time to hit both of them because I know Mike's interested in hearing about my Descent into Avernus game. Sure. Um, so... My main game is my Curse of Strahd game with my my Friday night group of adults. Right, I still pl- I'm playing Descent into Avernus with with my kids. On uh, we've sort of settled into a Sunday afternoon schedule with that, but there was there wasn't a ton of playing since the last time we chatted because they started school, I started school, everything's crazy. Um, so when we left off my last time, my players had. They'd gone to Berez. They had the big fight with Baba Lysaga. It was super challenging and a super good role-playing experience, and they had a good, good time. Uh, and then they decided, hey, we can see Argon Vostholt up on the top of that cliff there. Let's just climb up there, right? They got a couple of ASMR in the party. One of them sprouts wings, flies on up there, drops a rope, whatever, right? We're just going to skip straight there. This is after we had talked last time about how do I make it hard, more challenging when they, like, skip over things through the wilderness and whatever, make the random – but this is even different, right? Okay, fine. You climb up the side. It, it saves me, saves us travel time and a couple of random encounters that I don't really like doing anyway. So um, there we are. So they skip straight to Urgen Vosholt. Um, they spend a couple of sessions sort of exploring it. They discover the, the mausoleum of the dragon. Uh, I allowed those with the more that were more magically inclined to, you know, through some detect magic and some arcana checks to be like, hey, yeah, there's an enchantment here, but uh, there's something missing, right? There's a hole in the middle of the aura, something, you know, in, indicating, giving a hint as to the the need to recover the skull of the dragon, of the dragon, right? And then they went back into the into the the fort, whatever the manor kept exploring they completely missed like they got to the second floor third floor like it was a super confusing night because they started they they cleared basically the first floor and then they went from the chapel 
up those little spiral those little spiral stairs there that that go all the way up. But they, the stairs are such that uh, the different stairs don't stop on all the levels. And there's like phantom warrior archers inside the spiral stairs when you get up to like the third or fourth floor that are supposed yeah. to like shoot at people on the roof. But they came they went straight up to one on the on the in the tower right there because they're in the stairs, which made for a really obnoxious combat to to run <laughs> because they're in this narrow little stairwell and we have it on roll 20 it all looks pretty and whatever but like half of the party can't even fit on the map they're on the next layer and they're like we have no idea what's even going on let alone have any actions to take right it was just really obnoxious and the fact that they couldn't figure out how to get anywhere because like i can see it through the window that's where we want to go but we have no way to get there because the stairs don't stop at every floor. Uh, so it was really confusing for them. Argen Vostolt has some map issues, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and that's, no, well, I mean, it's, it, it depends. Yeah. Depends on your point of view. Like it's a complicated place, you know, whether that's a map issue or not. Well, it's a complicated place, but the things that made it complicated for them didn't make it fun. Yeah. So that's different. Right. Right. I, I had, I had a player for like the first time, in the year, year or so that we've been playing together, pull out his phone and just sort of start scrolling because there was nothing for him to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it was his birthday too, so I felt bad. Uh. Um, so eventually they found their way to the main part of like the second or third floor, whatever it was, where all their evidence are. And they kind of explored a couple of rooms, discovered the the dragons, um, they discovered the dragons like old lair there put the painting together, got the, the message that they needed to, to recover the skull and then just like left. So they didn't, they, they made it to the floor with all the revenants where all the like story is for them for Argon Vostold and they skipped it all. They, 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 didn't, oh. they never encountered them like, Oh great. Now we, now we know what we need to go do. Let's go. Uh, let's go in, uh, and take, take up the straw on the dinner invitation and maybe we'll, we'll go explore and find the, find the skull there. Oh, <laughs> But the, but their plan is find the skull and then come back. So, I mean, it, they might have another chance to sort of run into the revenants. Um, and so then they then we did the, the dinner invite. Um, and that was that was that went well. It was fun. I, I played up the whole. Um, so the dinner for me was a lot. Of, and, and OK, as an aside, I'm using the the interactive Tome of Strahd. I think I may have talked about it before. It's a DMs Guild product. And the idea is. Um, instead of the Tome of Straw just being like, here's a handout with some exposition, it is you do an arcana check every day at dusk and, and decipher a new chapter. And then the book sucks you in and the players actually live through one of oh, the neat. events yeah. in Strahd's history. Uh, and it's really fun. It's working really well. And it just so happened that the, they had, after Argon Vostholt, they, they deciphered, they were sucked into the book for one of those chapters. And it was the first time Strahd met Arena at a dinner party in the little same room with the organ and everything where they do dinner with Strahd. And so they went from the, the flashback where they met Arena for the first time. They were doing a dinner party with Strahd there. All of that happened. And then the next thing they did was go and have dinner with Strahd in the same room. You get to like really play up the juxtaposition. Like it was bright and it was shiny and, and everything was, was immaculate and the food was delicious or whatever. And now everything is dark and it's dingy and the sun never, you know, so you get to really play that up. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, Rahadin and Strahd are there. Rahadin and Strahd are there. Are there right? I, I brought cool. in, um, just because I was a little worried it would turn into a big fight. Uh, I took some advice from this guy, Sly Flourish and I, and I pulled a couple of, 
uh, vampires from this PDF that he has available and threw a couple of, of bodyguards, uh, vampire bodyguards in there with him. And I had that sort of, there's a bunch of feral vampires about ready to attack the village of Barovia in my back pocket if I needed it. But it turned out it didn't come to that, right? They, they were all very cordial, even though some of them were very afraid they wouldn't be able to be. Uh, and Strahd was very cordial. And, I, and, and the, the idea was simply like, Strahd's offer was, look, I don't want to be here. You don't want me to be here. Sure, let's, let's just assume I'm a horrible leader for the people of Barovia and I'm, I'm torturing them and I'm just not a good person. Fine, I'll leave. One of you has to take over for me. One of you has to be my heir and take over for me. Um, and I have to, and, and Arena has to come with me willing. Like those are my conditions. And, and then you can take over and you can run Barovia however you want. You can make it rainbows and puppies all day and, and everything will be brilliant, right? Um, and, and they, they, they get some time to think about it. And the impression I'm getting is that one of the players is pretty seriously thinking about it. And it's mm-hmm. the exact player that I imagined months ago when I knew that this was how the dinner was going to, that the offer was going to come out at the dinner. I knew that this is the, the, the character that was going to be the potential heir, right? Of course, neither Strahd nor they know that, that as the book suggests, uh, the dark powers aren't, don't aren't going to let the plan work, right? Just because he, he wants to have a replacement and whatever. Uh, it, it, it mentions in the book that Strahd has this plan because he thinks it might work. He's experimenting. It's another one of his hundreds of experiments he's done over the years, but the dark powers aren't going to let him go anyway, so hmm. it, won't, it won't really accomplish anybody anything, but he doesn't know that. He's just trying out a new, a new tactic. And the players don't know it. And the players definitely don't know it. Although they may get a hint uh, because at some point they're going to go to Amber Temple because two of them have been, since before they came to Barovia, two of them were having uh, fairly extensive conversations with Dark Powers, and one of them has become a warlock with a Dark Power as, as their patron. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will be headed there at some point, and then there might, there might be a chance to tip them off and let them know that like this isn't actually helpful. Um, and then Strahd was like, so anyway, if you want to leave and head back to one of the villages or whatever, I, I can, I'll continue to guarantee your safety. If you want to wander around the castle, you're totally welcome to do that. People pop in and, and wander around all the time anyway. Uh, but I can't promise your safety if you want to wander around the castle. It's a dangerous place. So they're like, well, what better opportunity? So they decided to go wander around the castle. And honestly, <laughs> I, and, it was, and it was really haphazard and really random. Like they just started kind of going up some stairs and they went through like – one of my players has a, a passive perception of like 22. Yeah. Right? So he sees every single secret door. And every time they find a secret door, it's like, well, that's the way we're going. <laughs> Even if it has nothing to do with where they want to go. Right? So they're going through every secret door. They're skipping whole floors. They're going up uh, up and up and up for a while. They find the, the treasury and they completely loot uh, Strahd blind. Um, so they're pretty happy with that. And then it comes, comes to the point where it's like, Hey, we got all this cool stuff and there's a helm of brilliance and there's this awesome stuff, except nobody has a tomb slots they want to open up for anything. So it doesn't <laughs> really matter. Um, you know, and so they, and they get through, they go through all of that. And then finally they're like, wait a minute, why are we here? Oh yeah. We wanted to look for the dragon skull. I bet it's somewhere where like, you know, dead bodies and stuff are. Let's go down and find, try to find the catacombs. Uh, and they do, they just keep going down and down and down and straight down. Uh, until eventually they get to the bottom floor. And I'm like, okay, well, this is fine. And they get to the dungeon and they find Emil Tornescu, the the, vamp, uh, the, the, the werewolf that's been 
imprisoned uh, in the dungeons by Strahd. Um, they they work their way through the, that section of the bottom floor a little bit. And I'm getting a little worried because they're really only like – I mean they're, they're potentially 10 minutes away from wandering into the actual catacombs where – the the card reading has said, and they they've read the, they've heard the prophecy that Strahd's hanging out in Sergei's tomb. Like, what mm. if they go there and basically trigger the end of the whole thing? They're not really ready for it. They kind of skip over a bunch of potential stuff, you know. So that you know, they and they honestly they might be able to take him. Um, what level are they now? They're eight or nine. Oh yeah. So that yeah, I mean, and I've I've. I've changed up some of his spells and that kind of stuff in ways that would make sense, but eighth or ninth level characters are pretty tough though. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think they might be able to take him. Uh, Do they have all the items? They have all the items. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, no, I think they could. And so part of me is like, well, they might just bump into him and end this, this whole leg of the, the, the campaign real fast now. Um, and if that happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and we've got all this other stuff to explore and stuff that they want to explore. And that's really my bigger concern is they have all these side quests they want to accomplish. So if they finish it before they do, there might not be it might feel anticlimactic. I don't know. Uh, ultimately, it doesn't have to be the end. Yeah. Well, no, 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 I have I have an after I have a, a final chapter for the campaign as well after uh, Curse of Strata is over. Um, but I ultimately it didn't matter because they got to the there's that one room with the the iron statues and the brazier in the middle and you can toss in a stone to turn it a different color and there's a little poem so you can figure out what they mean. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. that te- teleports in different places, right? And they're looking through the poem and they're like, okay, well, the green one says it sends you to the place where all the coffins are hidden. That's probably where we'll find like dead body parts, like a, a dragon skull, right? That's almost certainly the catacombs. So they toss in the green one. They all disappear, uh, and they reapp- And the place that teleports them to is the coffin maker shop in Velaki. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, ah, man. Because what they didn't know is they were they were like three rooms away from getting to the catacombs anyway, and the dragon yeah. skull is not in the catacombs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they were yeah. off by a bunch, right? But, and so, but that's fine. Now, now they're headed off to. Um, they were headed off to the Margrave because that's where I, I put the third seed for the Wizard of Wines. Um, so they were off to the Margrave to deal with that, because uh, and I think they were happy to get out. But I had I had Emil traveling with them, and Emil didn't go through the teleportation. He's like, screw that, I'm not gonna mess with whatever they're doing, and this is my chance to get away. Uh, so when they were walking past the castle again to go to the Margrave where I've located it, they run into him leaving the castle, uh, and he's like, oh hey. If you're not too busy, anybody want to come with me and deal with this other situation? There's a werewolf den, and and I think their leader needs to be taken out, right? <laughs> and one of the characters has a backstory that's connected to the werewolves, although he didn't. They are they are eighth or ninth level. Yeah, I have a potential replacement for your werewolf den that might be pretty awesome. If you've got some, yeah. So I, I already looked through a fantastic lair as it happens. Oh, nice. I, I went I just, through. I went through a bunch of the um, the homebrewed stuff that people had published on, on D&D Beyond and I found some some werewolves that would be more challenging for them anyway to use for – at least for the bosses. I've got the worst werewolf you've ever seen. Awesome. I can mail this to you. Is this, is this for the new uh, – Yeah. The new yeah, one? Yeah, so okay. – I need, I need, I haven't tested it yet. So you, you need playtesters. <laughs> but, I, but I was going to, and it is a, I mean, spoiler. Can I spoil? 
I'll spoil. It's a frost giant werewolf. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's I, a mythic frost giant werewolf. I'm a backer so of the product, so I've heard. A, I've heard of. Yeah, yeah. That was a fan. That was a fan generated mm-hmm. one. And uh, yeah, when you fight him, you fight him in hybrid form first, and then when you kill him, he turns into a huge uh, winter wolf. And so you're talking. I think it's 290 total hit points. And uh, yeah, yeah, lots of. Well, send it legend. along. I need it. I probably need it. By, I need to figure out if I'm going to run it by Friday because that's what yes, my game is. But send it to me, uh, and and maybe I'll. And I've already got some story out, like the whole kidnapping kids and and making them fight to to all that kind of stuff. That's that's a fairly integral part of of my use of the 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 werewolf den. But I could certainly, if I know anything about uh, Mike Shea's fantastic adventures and layers and what have you, is that they tend to be very flexible in, in their usefulness. Yeah. So yeah. um, I could sneak some of those things in if I need to. Yeah. Um, but that was basically where my, uh, my Curse of Strahd game ended. Uh, my timer literally just went off, so I don't know if you wanted me to ask any questions or talk about my Descent into Avernus game at all. Yeah. You want I a quick want summary of this? I want both. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, tell uh, yeah if you would do 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 a couple minutes about your descent in Everness. Yeah, well, we only played twice, I think, since the last time we've chatted, uh, and once was clearing out the Dungeon of the Dead three after my PC died down in the dungeon the first time. I, I threw a new PC into the into the mix uh, and went through that, um, and then it occurred to me afterwards I should have just set it up Mortlock, who's like the brother down in the Dungeon of the Dead three, and had him join the party, but. <laughs> hindsight uh and ultimately i was trying to focus on making characters that could be support um so i'm you know i'm the the life cleric sort of character who sits in the back and, and provides the healing so they could be the heroes because i'm not trying to have a dmpc that steals the spotlight yeah um and so they went there from there they they listened to mortlock and they went to the to the low lantern and they had a fight with uh amrick who, as Emmerich does, like, okay, never mind. Like, you're clearly going to win this. I surrender. Take me to jail. That's what they did because they're like, hey, we're here as, as uh, deputies of the Flaming Fist. So they took him to the, the local guard post and locked him up. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll totally cooperate with this because I'll be out by the morning. Uh, and in fact, they came back the next morning because they wanted to ask him some questions. They were getting ready to, to infiltrate the villa. Uh, and, and the person's like checking the logs and says, uh, he, was, uh, he was transferred to another uh, guard post up in the upper city. I don't know what, what, where he's at now. Because <laughs> right? uh, so, so Amrick is somewhere in the wind. I haven't decided what's going on with him yet. And then they, they began the infiltration of Van Thamper Villa. Mm-hmm. Um. It is not a surprise to me. In fact, I believe I discussed it in my initial review of um, Descent into Avernus that I was concerned about the connective tissue in Chapter 1 um, because it's there's not a real strong incentive to go from the Dungeon of the Dead 3 either to Van Thamper Villa or to the Low Lantern, which are the two different paths you can take from right. there. Um, Low Lantern it, is the ship. It's the ship, the, yeah. The, the ship in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, right. and, 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 and I mean, they've been tasked by the flaming fist. They've been more or less forced by the flaming fist to deal with the, which, right. I, such and a I, bad motivation. <laughs> and I, and I, and I've dealt well, it's particularly bad because it doesn't 
propel them forward past the Dungeon yeah. of the Dead Sea. Why, what, why, well, and how do you then get them to, oh, by the way, hey, fifth level character, it's time to go to hell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll do it. We'll save the city. The, oh, yeah, well, in fairness, my kids, especially the nine-year-old, has been asking when they're going to get to hell since level two. So. I know, so he's ready to go. <laughs> he's ready to go. <laughs> but character-wise, it's a little bit of right. a stretch. Um, so, so I knew that that connective tissue was a, was a thing to consider and I, am going to have to, I, I just wanted to see how it would run and how I could do it on the fly. Are they still in the Dungeon of the Dead 3? No, no, no. They're, they're in the Van Thamper Village. They're in the Van Thamper Village. And, and, they, and, uh, do they know about the shield? No, they don't know about the shield. Um, and, and part of what, what's happened, like they make it very clear in the description of the villa, like they can get in and sort of sneak around and, and do whatever they need to do. Uh, and explore things relatively safely. It's not a big combat um, trudge, at least for the for the upper levels. Oh, upper levels, yeah, that's right. True. But and and one of my 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 youngest son is playing a changeling, so he's like, well, I just I just change into Amric or Morlock oh, okay. or whoever, right? And wander around like they're supposed to be there, and makes all of his deception checks and and whatever, right? So there's no combats there. But then the one brother that's upstairs with the puzzle box. Like they just talked to him and then walked away. <laughs> no. They didn't get the puzzle box. They they had no reason to. Did they not know? They didn't know about the puzzle box. They hadn't heard anything about it because they didn't yeah. question Amrick about it. And... I guess that was yeah. So that was that, that's something I wrote about in the article I had wrote, which is like right. You know, the shield and the puzzle box are the motivation. Right. Right. So and like they need that... to, they can learn about that in the Dungeon of the Dead Three and learn like hey, right. the Vanthamfers got a hold of the puzzle box. By the way, they also have Thavius Krieg. Thavius had the puzzle box. Right. And yeah. like, we need you to go there and get Thavius Creed, the puzzle box and the shield. Right. And, and, <laughs> and, the, and Rhea Mantelmorn is with them and she would have been yeah. the, the perfect way. Like she, and she, she talks about, she's going after Thavius Creed. Creed. Yeah, right? sure. So she's right. with them and she's in the party and she's like, I'm well, I don't, I don't know. I don't care what your motivation here is. I'm sticking around until I find him. Because yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened. It's awfully suspicious that like the leader of Elturel happened to be gone when yeah, it disappeared. I had, her, I had her ready to murder him. Yeah, no. Like, you know, uh, so I, I, I think, had her. I had her descend into murder. I think I need to layer her. that in a lot thicker next time. Like, that's part of what I'm enjoying about running it with my kids. Is it's a great testing ground before I run it with my regular group. And, in, right, in like yeah, six like months they're not going to be nearly as hard on the storyline. Well, as, they right, right. Or my kids aren't. Yeah. Right. I mean, my, I mean. my youngest is mostly just really, really excited for when I finally get to break out that, that stuffed Lulu thing because I have the Beetle and Grimm box. Oh, right. You have the <laughs> He's just really pumped to meet Lulu. So. Right. <laughs> and you're like, so, is it time yet? No, no time for not Lulu. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, yeah. Cool. So, yeah. So, that's the Descent into Avernus game. Uh, but I'm hoping now that we're in a routine of playing every every Sunday, I'll get to get it in a little more often and get a little further. So. I tend to yeah. like people talk about how that adventure has the Gazetteer for Baldur's Gate has all this stuff in it. You could explore there for ages and and all that. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But I usually just run the story that, that exists. Like they're not. Yeah, looking. it's really weird. It's like a third of the book too. I was yeah. looking at the page count. And I was like, it's like it feels like half the book. Probably yeah. half the book is Baldur's Gate. Well, and and between the between chapter and one, and that's and that's fine because I'm happy two. to get I'm happy to get more setting because we never got a real setting book for the realms. Um, yeah, but we had the whole no, of Baldur's Gate. 
No, no, I'm not. Or I'm not Baldur's disagreeing. Gate is a great trimmer <laughs> for Baldur's Gate, but not for yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm happy to get more setting, and and I I don't dislike Baldur's Gate as a place and whatever. But people talk about I, I you know I'm part of like the Facebook group for the the adventure, right? The DMs, Descent into Avernus DMs are there, and people talk about how their players are just they're spending a year in real time just exploring Baldur's Gate and doing stuff there, yeah. and I'm like, well, you yeah, you can totally do that, but like that's not the story you know so and it's um, not yeah it's right yeah so yeah so you could do a lot of stuff there but i I, i'm more eager to like just keep moving forward through the through the narrative of the book and see where it goes so i'm not you know same thing with like barovia like there's a lot of little side quests in barovia and could i explore a whole lot more absolutely but that's not really the story yeah and i don't think it's the intent right the intent is go get the items Right? Well, like, and, and Curse of Strahd, I guess, is a little bit different because it's just a big giant sandbox. With- it is a si- giant sandbox, but I think, like, at least when I, the, the couple times I ran it, the thing that guided the characters were you need to go get these items before you deal with Strahd. And um, there were some side plots and stuff, but, like, once they got those items, it was like, okay, now it's the end game. Yeah, my players aren't motivated by the items hardly at all because, because yeah. of the locations of where they were, they got, like, all of the items and the ally within, like, three or four sessions of arriving in Berlin. Yeah, right. And <laughs> so, then like, well, let's go check everything else out. Yeah. yeah so now it's like, well, one guy's right. like completely depressed by being in Barovia. He's like, I'm running out of alcohol. That's a problem. And now the winery <laughs> can't make more. We need to find the seeds. <laughs> like if yeah. I'm going to be stuck here, they need right. to be making wine. <laughs> so. All right. Um, that is well past my time. So, uh, and, and Sam barely said a word. Hi, Sam. <laughs> he waves in at us. I have my microphone muted. And, and you're chatting so, with people in the in the chat room for the Twitch yeah. as well, uh, which is worth pointing out. People chatting with us on the Twitch. Um, hey, Evil John is here because uh, our I mentioned at the beginning that our Skull Splitter Dice contest this month, uh, the month of, of September, um, is going to be based on Twitch. If you are following us on Twitch, you automatically get an entry. Uh, into the the contest. And if you respond during the response window in the chat room, you get an, an additional entry for every time this month that you are in the stream and you respond. And so being that it's behind the DM screen, uh, after everybody has talked about their game, so if you want to be thinking about it, people watching us, uh, at the end of the episode, I'm going to ask everybody watching or anybody watching who wants to get an entry to ask us a question. It can be a question about our game. It can be asking for advice on something, whatever, but you all get to ask us a question. And by doing so you get another entry into the contest and I'll jot down the names of everybody who does. So, and we're getting a lovely, we got a lovely view of Mike's cat's tail. Yep. (laughs) So, all right, that is that. So be ready with a question at the end of the episode. Uh, But in the interest of time, Mike, Yo, you're up. All right. So I am running a whole bunch of games, three different Eberron games and one Descent to Davernus game and play test for Fantastic Layers. So I got lots of D&D going on. Uh, I, it's a weird thing. Right? Like since COVID, my games have gone up about 50% and I'm running on the average three games a week. I hear that that's um, the way it goes. Either people stay yeah. pretty similar, they completely drop to nothing, or they actually increase. I've done it a ton, and it's great. And it, you know, I'm getting a lot better being able to run games online, and I know how to like prep games real quick. So that's all been going really well. Uh, so on the, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Eberron. I want to talk a little bit about Descent to Davernus. 
um, just you know to follow on to your conversation about it. So my Eberron game has been interesting. There, you know, I don't I don't have any idea. Like my wife was asking me, like, hey, when's this going to be done? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know where it's ending. Right. And and I came I, I'm lucky that I came to a, a sort of epiphany on Sunday when I was running it. That I always had this plan that we have this major villain. He's trying to make the weapon of mourning. Yeah, he's this total manipulator of all this stuff. And that as the characters are uh, breaking parts of his plans, he can have, you know, he can kind of move the plan in other directions until eventually they they stop him completely. So one of the things that he did, for example, and it's been different for the two different Eberron games. So in one of them, they actually got, they, they, they basically stopped everything. They, there were three things that he needed in order to make the Weapon of Mourning. He needed a huge... Eberron crystal, a huge Eberron shard. He needed the the magic of the giants of Zendrek to be able to call some kind of great power. And he needed to do it in a location known as Claw Rift, which is actually in the middle of the Mornland. And if he had all those three things, if anybody had all those three things, they would be able to create the weapon of mourning. That's the, the, the general idea. And he was, but he was furthest along of everybody. So like there were other groups that were trying and there were other groups who were trying to stop those who were trying, but he was furthest along. He had a huge, uh, Eberron shard that was like, you know, two tons. He had, uh, through the characters got a book called the book of Kulsir. Kulsir is the, the giant emperor of Zendrek. 50,000 years ago or whatever. And that book had the magic in it to be able to activate this, this, this powerful crystal. And he was working on getting the location, but didn't have it yet. In my Sunday game, they completely stopped him by actually blowing up his ship, dropping the Eberron crystal onto the ground. And it exploded and created this massive crater, nearly killed the characters, destroyed Leto Skull's ship. He got away. Uh, of course. Um, so they, I think, I think they, I'm trying to remember. I think they, he had the Tome of Colseer. Yeah, the, he had the Tome of Colseer, but didn't have the shard in that one. And then in my Wednesday game, they have the Book of Colseer. He never got that, but he still has his Eberron shard. So like two of the three, you know, one of the three is in his hands. One of the three is in the character's hands and ne- nobody has the location yet. And uh, so it's fun to like, where is he going next is one of the big questions. And he is now going to ally with the daughters of Sorakal, the, the 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 leaders of the Droam, because they either have a big crystal or the spell. They have whatever component he doesn't have, but nobody yet has the location. Uh, and I can't. I I, I kind of knew how the location was going to come about, like how you were going to get to the um, uh, to the to this this place called Making in the center of of the morning, or the center of the Mornland. And I wanted it to be that there's a there's a war forged train like a war train right like this would be a wartime train like these big soviet era trains that would go back and forth across the you know across across you know russia during the war uh only it's a war forged and it's now bet 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 so he's 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 so he's he's crazy right and he's he's been like you know it's it and i'm basing him off of the train from um the dark tower series there's a great you know in the third dark tower book um, by Stephen King, they have to they get on a train, uh, and and the train is run by like an artificial intelligent creature that's absolutely nuts now, and so the same I, I want to do that, but I don't know anything else more about it other than I wanted to do that, and he, it's the only creature left that knows how to get to morning and can get there reliably, so you have to convince it to do so, right? 
And um, so I know I want to have that. But at first I was like, OK, well, that's going to be out of, you know, this city called called uh, not Metro. I think it's called Metro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like but then there's this other city that they were heading to called Eston, which is where the, the house Kenneth was. And I was like, my God, how am I going to get him from Eston to Metro? And then I'm like, wait a minute. Why don't I just have the train in Eston? And then it's like it cuts off this whole other path that like I, of things where I'm like, I don't know how the hell they're going to get there. And now it's like, oh, OK, well, they headed Eston now. You know, they're, they're going to go to Aston. They're going to find the train. They're going to get on the train. They're going to go to Metro. And I'm like, OK, now I actually see a light at the end of this tunnel. <laughs> so my my crazy ass complicated game, which you kind of want an Eberron game, right? You want like a lot of a lot of threads and a lot of like conspiracies and a lot of different factions that are all doing a lot of crazy stuff. But then you also want it to turn into Indiana Jones every so right. often. Right. And like, Hey, we're walking around in, uh, you know, Arl dusk, which is this, um, you know, city in the city of Thrain. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to have like those, you know, the dudes in turbans that attacked Indiana, Indiana in <laughs> Ira show up. Right. And they're like, where the hell are these dudes come from? Like, I don't know, but you're getting attacked on the street by a bunch of assassins. Figure the details so, out later. Yeah, right. And I, I don't know. It'll be sent by the Orem or somebody. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. But I, I still go back to like, I don't think I enjoy running homebrew adventures nearly as much as I like running published adventures mm-hmm. because I don't have anything that's keeping me on track. Right? right. Like I don't have any loose outline. I'm just making it up as I go. Yeah. And for most people, they're totally happy with that. But I'm running four games. Right. Like that's too hard for me to run four games. Yeah. Like if, I've, I would, I've been, if that was like one game where we played once a month and it was a great big right. session and I had lots of time to think, it'd be a different story. I've been, I've been, right I've now, been thinking like, heavily about like if I run an Eberron campaign at some point, I don't want to – like I want to have something to start from. You know, I feel yeah, like there's, there's a great there's a like options. one to 20 campaign available here. Somebody needs to publish it. Right. There's a lot of options. Well, like, you know, the, the, the last war or not, what, what is it? The new series of, of adventures, League adventures yeah. that are set in Iran. Like that's probably a good start, but I, I wanted to start in Sharn though. And those started in, in, um, salvation. I'd be happy to, to use those if, if they were all done and then published. I don't want yeah, well, They're going up to tier three now. I think they're, they're pretty far along. So when they're all done and I can just buy the bundle of all of them, then I'll, yeah, sure. I'll pick them yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, so yeah, anyway, like, so that's been fine, but like, it, it's been hard running my own thing. And like, yeah, you, I see you in chat making fun of the fact that it's so complicated. Like, <laughs> I don't want it to be complicated, right? Like, I, I mean, I need it to be kind of, but you know, yeah, I don't like running without any idea what the path is, where the path is headed. Right. And part of that's really fun. Cause I have all these fun factions that are doing all these big things. Right. And like, are the daughters going to get involved? And you know, I, I sort of had a I, I, I'll, I'll share a lesson and then I want to talk about about um, uh, Avernus. Uh, I ran a session last time where they just got on their skyship. They left they left Sharn. They were heading to Arl Dusk. And I was like, OK, well, you want to have something happen along the way. Right. Like how boring is it to be like, yeah, you fly for four days and then you end up in Arl Dusk. Congratulations on having a new fancy ship. Right. And and I was like, but, you know, hey, you're getting attacked by wyverns off of the mountains. I was like, oh, it's so boring. Right. So. I was like, I want to do something interesting. And I was like, what if, so they have this sentient crystal ball called lack, right? That's a member of the dreaming dark. It's, it's older than anything. It's like, it's hundreds of thousands of years old. And it's got this personality in there that's tied to Dalcor, the dream, the dream world. Right. And there's, I think I said there's seven of them. It's one of seven of these orbs that exist in, in Eberron. And, um, and, and Lido Skull, the villain has another one. 
named Chris. And I was like, what if there's a third orb? And it, it knew that Lack is on the move. And it thought that Lack had been kidnapped by these adventurers. And it, and it mobilizes all of the people that it's influenced to try to get Lack back. So they get attacked by these, um, uh, what are they called? The, the, damn it. Uh, the Kal- Kalashtar, right? They, uh, they get Kalashtar, a bunch yeah. they get attacked by a bunch of Kalashtar assassins and a creature that the or that the other orb, the third orb has overtaken with its like dominating personality. And that's a brass dragon. So they're on the ship and like airship, you know, airships come flying in and dumping people on their deck. And they see like this huge, like, I called it a dream storm it was this crazy storm that like you'd look over and there's your dog that died a long time ago. <laughs> right. And there's, you know, it would just, you know, there's your mother screaming at you when you were a kid. And so there's all this like weird dreamscape stuff. Plus they're getting attacked, but it was a really hard fight. And they end, and they end up turning into quarry, which are really powerful Eberron monsters. So like as the Kalishtar are dying, they're turning into a quarry because it's in this like weird dreamscape storm. And they were doing okay, but they were getting pretty badly beat up. Part of it was one of the characters was staying in the cabin to keep flying the ship. That meant they only had three others, and they're getting attacked by these really tough guys. And I knew that, like, the, the, the thing about it was the third orb and all the creatures it controlled were wrong. Lack doesn't want to be rescued. Right. And the minute they actually get a hand on Lack, Lack telepathically is like, dudes, F off. Right? Like, <laughs> and so one of the characters went and touched the orb. And they heard part of the conversation, which was, I have these guys right where I want them leave. And she's like, oh, man, Lack's working us. Right. Like <laughs> we, we, we never we knew Lack was some sinister stuff, but he's apparently working an angle. And, you know, and and, and they all left. And, and what happened is it felt like a really anticlimactic fight at least for, for a couple of the players, because it was like, we were on the verge of like either fighting and winning or dying. And then all of a sudden they just all leave all at once. And I thought like, it's an interesting dramatic story beat, but it makes for like a lame end of a session, especially when you don't know why. Mm. So I think like it'll get recovered over time, but it was one of these interesting pacing things that I learned, which is like, you don't really want to end a session with sort of a wet balloon, all the bad guys flee and you don't know why they fled. You know, and you see, don't know what the story is. See, I, I would have framed it differently because I love, and I learned this from Jeremiah McCoy when he DM'd a game, a, a, a short campaign for my group back in North Carolina. Um, I love ending a session on a cliffhanger. And this wasn't a No, but, but dropping that, like, that you heard the orb say that you, you got the hint that the orb is working you and then just like, all right, session over. We'll pick up from yeah. there next time, you know, or yeah, well, suddenly all the bad guys up. leap off the side of your ship and that's okay. where we'll stop. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. It was a little, yeah, it, it, it felt the problem was like, it, it took like the middle of this combat. It, first of all, it wasn't clear to the players that I wasn't just being nice to them and they were, they were going to lose. Mm. They didn't realize like this was the ending. Right. The, or there could have been any, they could have beaten him off. Right. Yeah. They could have killed him, you know, and, and, and the, the guys never would have gotten a hold of lack. And, and, the, but the way it was, was when the character who had lack was knocked out, they grabbed lack and then lack said, let me go. Like, I'm good, yeah. you know, and, and you trying to rescue me is not helping. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, there was a matter of pacing that I needed to pay attention to mm-hmm. that the, that the players felt right. Like I could right. tell that it was sort of a downer sort of a downer way to end it. It wasn't this like, oh man, exciting. We learned something. It was, you know, why did we just spend the last two hours fighting these dudes? Right. If all they were going to do is touch lack and leave. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it was although, an interesting although did did they feel like I've I've run into several a couple times. of them like someone I I, I kind of queried all the players. Uh-huh. One of them definitely felt that way, okay. and then other you know, uh, uh, some some felt like you know yeah it was a downer, but I know we're going to find out what happened. Right, and then some were like, no, that's cool. Right, <laughs> well, see, I, I find that I like when my players were spinning. It wasn't just me thinking right. that that's how they felt. I've, I've, and, you know. I found when all my when my players were spending three sessions in a row, just sort of wandering around the castle of, of Ravenloft with no direction and no story development, no significant major story development. I'm like, this isn't this getting kind of old? And every session they start off myth. Man, I've been really enjoying like the exploration. This is a blast. I'm like, this is, yeah, good, this is. I, <laughs> I guess this doesn't fall into the DM is being hard on themselves and the okay, players are having good. time. This was actual feedback that I got. So, you know, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Like, you know, it meant that it was a six out of 10 instead of my typical seven or eight out of 10 right. of my games. Um, but, you know, it was fine. Uh, so Avernus, they can't I'm all running Avernus. What's that? They can't all be great. Every now and then you're going to have a dud. Yeah, and I don't even think it was a dud. I think it was just not, it was an interesting way that the pacing, particularly right. the end, you know, shook things up. But I think it was, you know, yeah. Yeah. It was also a long session. The whole session was just that. And I thought we were going to get further along, but oh, it was okay. this big multi-phase fight. Yep. So Avernus, my, my group is now in Avernus. Uh, they met with, um, uh, the, you know, they, they, they went through all of El Terrell. Okay. They went down the chain. They're on the surface of Avernus. They uh, went to, um, they, they made their way towards uh, Mad Maggie. Mm-hmm. And now they just got a quest from Mad Maggie to kill one of the other warlords and, and, and she'll help them out. And what's interesting is I knew this was going to be the case. I knew that when I read chapter three, that there's no way I'm running it even close to the way it's written. Okay. That it's, it, it, you know, it's probably, for me to say it's a mess, it's probably not perfect. But I know lots of DMs who have read it and say, yeah, it's, you know, you're going to need to work that. And and, you know, th- there's lots of other aspects. So I, I kind of have the feeling like, OK, I want to treat it the same way I would treat Tomb of Annihilation or Curse of Strahd, my two my two favorite hardback adventures and say, I want to treat chapter three the same way as those big chapters in those books with lots of locations that they can explore. But I needed Sinew to tie together that whole chapter like their goal is get the sword and bust the chains. Right. Nice, easy, straightforward thing. But how are they going to get? They know that the sword is inside of a place called the Bleeding Citadel. They know it was a Hellrider who stabbed into the ground, you know, because they got this vision when they were in Alterell and all this stuff. But what are the steps? You know, to me, it's like, what are the paths that are going to get them there? And there's the whole path of demon and the whole path of devil. But everybody I've talked to is like, yeah, those are a mess. Right. Those aren't fun to run it. And there's so many like supplements and blog articles and everything about people who are like, let's rewrite chapter three. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't I do the same, right? Like, I'll rewrite chapter three. But I can also... There seem to be people who have a lot of... Get a lot of uh, time on the internet just rewriting big swaths yeah, of published adventures. Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, there's there's like, hey, we here's like tweaks you can make. To, like, how many articles about Curse of Strahd talk about rewriting the whole... Oh, um, the, the, the Facebook group will constantly point to these two, basically people on Reddit who have completely rewritten the entire adventure. Okay. And, and that yeah. is all of the advice that they give for, for Curse of Strahd every time somebody asks. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I just, I, I feel like this one got, so, I, okay, one side is like when I read it, I go, okay, I want to do this very differently. And, um, you know, and I know that there's like at least, there's like a very popular blog series about it that, that uh, uh, Justin Alexander, the Alexandrian wrote about it. And there's also, um, 
Uh, there's also uh, a you know bunch of big supplements on the DM skill that that fix it, including DM supplements from people who were right who wrote it right who right. say like hey try this. So I said okay I want to do it differently and I want to focus it mostly I want to have multiple paths and the paths I really dig are Tiamat like what if there's this whole angle that you instead of getting the sword you can rescue you can get Tiamat out of her prison and she'll bust the chains for you. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, because that tie, like in particular, that would be great for my wife who has played through the whole Tiamat adventure, sure, got her in the prison in the first place. And then now has the, with a whole other character in a whole other time has a way to release her again. Right. I think that'd be, awesome. I don't know if it'll go that way, but it'd be a fun one. So I want that path. And then the other path uh, I wanted to take was, um, Oh, Gargoth from the shield. Right. right. That like, and you release Gargoth. And then if you, if you agree to release Gargoth, how can Gargoth break the chains? What does Gargoth do? And then the third is go get the sword, you know, the straightforward way. Um, so there's like all these paths. So I had to like sit and make one of those crazy line and dot charts of all of the different paths. And then what are the steps that will be in each of these paths? What locations are tied to those steps so that I know, you know, in the, in my, in my philosophy of think two horizons out, what's the next horizon I need to be paying attention to, you know, once they're done with this. So like I added the whole, instead of a bunch of like fetch quests inside mad Maggie's place. Um, I said, how about mad Maggie says, Hey, I've got these four other jerk, you know, um, warlords out there, you pick, you kill one of them for me and I'll help you unlock some of the dreams. And then she'll unlock the dreams and say, okay, you need to go to this place. And then as they're on the way there, the, 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 the turtle friend of Archon shows up and says, Hey, my boss understands you're looking for, to release your city. Maybe we can help you with that. Come and come and visit my boss and we'll talk about it. Right. right. And that's, a, that's a TMAT path. And then the other one is the shield saying, Hey, I know a way too, but you have to help me get out of this dumb shield. Right. And then now they got like two other allies and now they're like, do we want to help the shield? Do we want to talk to Archon or do we just want to No, we're just going to keep going. We're good. We'll keep going with this right. thing. And then of course, what does Archon and the shield do if they don't follow those paths? Right. So I, 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 it took me, I spent a good bit of time on Saturday writing out like my paths, you know, and then the locations. And I wrote like, I went through all of chapter three and said, what are all the locations I think are really cool and make sure that I put those into those paths so that I can run them. Cause there's about half of them where I'm like, eh, I don't really need that. Like the demon zapper. <laughs> eh, oh, see, I, I worked, I worked the background of the demon zapper into my water deep game. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's lots. Right. So that to me, like, I think that that's how this book can work. Whoa. That's not my alarm. That's some other alarm. Um, <laughs> I think, or is my alarm well over? It's well we over, t- yeah, yeah. We completely shut off alarms because we were already... See, see, the chat was like, oh, nice subtle alarm, Jeff. But I like, I held it up to the microphone in hopes that you... Yeah, but I'm talking. I'm not I know. <laughs> so, um, I think that, you know, when we think about like, okay, we paid 50 bucks for an adventure. It's got all this stuff in it. How do we use it the most? And I think there's some, I think there's some ways to say like, okay, for chapter three in particular, write your own paths. Right. Like instead of following the path of the demon, path of the devil, you know, you you can if you want, like run them that way or you pick the paths that make sense to you and then tie the locations in that make sense for those paths. Spend a little bit of time. Like you, you, I think like I'm spending more time than I would like, especially as a lazy DM. Right. That I'm spending more time than I would like rewriting that part. But I think I'll enjoy it more and I think it'll be tied closer to what the, the characters are doing. So, you know. 
yeah, when one runs four games, one cannot be constrained by such mundane concepts as alarms. Very busy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but I still dig it, right? Like, I'm enjoying it. My, my, my players are enjoying it. Um, I really liked chapter. So I like chapter one with my one caveat that you've got to tie the characters to El Terrell. Yeah. You know, they, they have to they have to love that city. You know, I, just, I, well, the, t- the tie to El Terrell I, I had. Uh, and yeah. I already made that fix. It's the tie to the shield and the puzzle box. And yes, yeah, that was right. I, I just beat my players over the head with that. Like listen, I, they, listen, they learned that in the Dungeon of the Dead 3. Having this conversation about it, I think what I've decided to do, actually, you've inspired me. Um, I, 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 give, give a vision. Well, I always, I always give my players like opening questions like to, to probe for background information about their characters or whatever. So one of them is going to just have the opening question. Hey, one of you is is – connected to this shield in some way what what's that story right and and one of you you know you're a hell writer but one of you wants thavius creek dead what happened right you know and and i think that see see if that does the trick and then have raya mention that he had this puzzle box and then you know sure i think that or or any any npc that they run into is like hey did you ever see the puzzle box that thavius creek came here that seems really perfect oh my god right and then (laughs) right um so yeah um so i found I found modifying chapter one pretty straightforward once that once that hack was in there. Okay. Chapter two, I had no trouble running. Like El Terrell, the whole city of El Terrell was fine. But as soon as I got to chapter three, and I knew it ahead of time, I'm like, oh man, this is going to take some work. And see, and so far it has. See the 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 chapter that I was most worried about on, on my based on my read uh, was chapter one. So uh, I'll look forward to seeing how chapter three get, goes when I run it both the first and second time to see if it's. If it's, yeah, I think, if it's I a think play it's, style issue or if it's an actual like problematic yeah. thing. I mean, part of it is like, it's not bad as if you got, they, they, they kind of tie in this whole like corruption of your characters and, right. you know, as long as you guys are willing to do deals. Well, what if you're not right? What if your players don't want to? So I, I the idea of like following the path of the hell riders that went into El Terrell, I think right. it'd be a, or into hell. I think that's lots of fun. One of the things I really dig is like, there's these five generals that all worked for, um, Zariel, right? And some of them went bad and some of them didn't. And some of them escaped and some of them didn't. So there's like Jander Sunspire is a general. Right. And in mine, he was a general that betrayed them. And so Gideon Lightward, who I'm making, I'm promoting to a general, is a <laughs> vampire general. He's a vampire now. And he turned Jandar into a vampire just so they could eternally torture him. Now, it's worth pointing out that you're not going to get to hear all of Sam's story because you're going so I over know. your time. So. Well, no, I'm, it's only nine. So anyway, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> In that case, good ending. Uh, okay, I'm done. <laughs> In that case, uh, I want to let people – remind people if you want to support the show, you go to uh, Amazon or DMs Guild through our affiliate links. Go to thetomeshow.com to find those links or become a patron at patreon.com slash tomeshow. I was just there. Dang it. I'm pretty sure it's Tome Show. Or No, it's it's not. It's patreon.com slash the tome. There it is. The, the Twitch is Tome Show. <laughs> <laughs> ah, stupid URLs. Anyway, too much confusion. Uh, Sam? Yes, sir. I'm going to put as much time on the clock as you want, but the, but it'll go <laughs> off at 15 minutes just to give you a, a, a heads up as what's going on. It's okay. I'm not as talky as Mike tonight. It's okay. I, 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 like Jeff, I'm, I'm really tired because Tuesday is a big teaching day for me. So, um, so... So before I forget, I, I want to say that uh, Mike mentioned like running, running games in your own setting or or running your own game 
that's not a running your own adventure that's not a pre-published thing and how much work that is if you if you've got multiple games going on and whatnot and so i have a little bit of that going on but i want to say that it would make a difference if all of my games were in my setting like like part of my problem is, is that i'm my two games one is in my setting and one is in forgotten realms because it's because it's based on some things, you know, f- from some published stuff, but it's still my story, and <laughs> so that that makes a difference, right? Whether you're running in a in your own setting, if I was running four games in my own setting, I could totally do it no problem without getting having trouble. But running more than one game in a different setting or a different you know type of adventure, that's where I run into problems. So a second thing I want to say before I forget is. You know, I've been running my own game for so long in in my own setting in my own storyline, but I am going to run Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. So that's actually going to be streamed on Midgardia, which is a, a Twitch channel, and I'm going to run it on every other Friday. And so I'm going to run that, and then that so that'll be something that I start talking about on behind the DM screen. So that's coming out what like September fifteenth or something. So. That game will start shortly after I'm it comes out. On, I'm planning on running it as well as soon as we're done with Eberron, but I'll probably be behind you so that way I can capitalize off yeah. of your experience. Yeah, yeah. that's why I, that that's what I always do with with Mike. I love I'm, waiting a few weeks. Yeah. I'm always running stuff sometimes a year or two after Mike is done with it, so I can get his advice. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that so that'll be fun. So I'm looking forward to that because then uh, may, then you know, other than just being interesting, maybe I'll be able to write some things that help some people or talk about some things that help some people. So that so that'll be fun. So what happened in my game? So I think I've had like two sessions since I've since I've spoken to you, um, so, or since the we last recorded behind the DM screen. So here's what happened. Um, all the PCs were in this enormous library, the largest library in the world, and they're finding all this lore out. And then they 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 find out something that, and they they decide, okay, now that we know all this stuff, we're going to leave the library and we're going to go, um, we're going to go, we're going to go try to act on some of the stuff that we just learned, and so, or at least find out some other information from some other people. And so, they go to start leaving, and the cleric Imran, she decides to 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 send a message to, um to try to find out where her mom is and they had left the um the revenant blacksley chilling quest with her mom to watch over her and so Imarin the cleric uh sends a, a message to blacksley and says uh you know tell my mom we'll be there you know really quickly we're you know how does it look outside is there is there any trouble you know are we going to have trouble getting from the library back to the royal grounds and all that and um and blacksley says what do you mean outside i have no idea i'm in the library with your mom so then they have to go then they have to go find rayla the her mom and Blacksley. And so when they get in there, he he tells her he tells her in the messaging, we're in the ossuary and your mom is looking for something. So they they go find the ossuary and it's this huge room and it has like 
uh, all these display cases with all these different bones and all these labels and everything. And in the middle, there's this huge sort of table with the, almost a glass covering over it that has all these bones in it. And her mom is in the corner kind of going through and picking up bones and looking for something and like not finding it, throwing them over her shoulder. And Blacksley, the Revenant, is like catching these things behind her because he doesn't want anything to like fall on the ground. He, he doesn't want to disturb anything in this library. And the party comes in and says, what the heck are you doing? And uh, they're having this conversation and she doesn't really, she tells them that she's looking for the key and, but she can't find it. She knows it's here. And the reason she knows it's in this room is because she left it here when she was in the library the last time. And so that's when we go back to, if we go back to like session number three or four, Imran had a vision and in the vision, she thought she was herself all the way up until the end of the vision when she looked in a uh, reflective surface and noticed that it wasn't actually her. It was her mom that she was reliving this this mm-hmm. activity, right? And that vision was in the library that they're in right now. Like the what, what was happening in the vision was in that library. So she knows – she thinks she knows. And so she does like a detect magic, and they realize that whatever is being looked for – is on the table that's in the middle of the room, but it's under this huge pile of bones. So of course they go to move the glass top of it has, it's only like one half covered and you can move the piece of glass, but you can't, you know, it, 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 the piece of glass is large, so you can only move it halfway over or halfway over. So only one half of the table is open at a time. And so they move the glass over and one of them goes to reach in to find find and move some of those bones and see what what's actually magical under those bones and of course the bones attack right so they fight this large bone construct thing it's basically like a giant amalgamated bone golem except it's not it wasn't just one creature the bones of one creature and there was just like this pile of bones so this big bone creature is made of multiple different skulls and multiple different arm bones and and so it's this thing and so it attaches and and it's also like a swarm so it basically tries to crawl all over the cleric who had reached her hand in so they have this really cool battle and that was really fun um and they used some interesting techniques to try to to try to uh, resolve this issue without having to completely kill this thing and destroy all the bones in the room because they were worried about actually making the bone creature stronger by like accidentally putting more bones in the pile. Um, so that was really fun. I, I really enjoy it when my, when my players come up with some really interesting ways to defeat a problem or to overcome a problem, you know, they, uh, they cast a barrier, a wall of force dome around the creature, but then the, the key was still in the container in the table. So then one of them had to like, teleport in and they had to do something to make sure that when the person teleported in they didn't get stuck in there and so they had all these sort of crazy magical effects going on and it was really really fun to do that so they they get the key and they leave um and they and they they stumble outside they they ask the mom maybe make sure make sure she's okay they stumble outside and when they stumble outside there's a couple of earthquakes happening in uh, around as they're trying to leave the building and they leave the building and they see and they feel the wind gusts and they see flying overhead and they hear the flapping of the wings this enormous gigantic dragon that has red and green scales and it is blowing fire followed by a puff of sticky 
poison fog on all the dragon. Say that again? A bait palm dragon. Yeah, right. It really like super duper powerful. I mean, they really like uh they're like, oh crap, like there's no way we can beat this. You know, this isn't some baby dragon or some, you know, young dragon. This is definitely either an adult or an ancient, and they're just judging by the size. And they knew the dragon existed because in a couple of sessions ago when they were talking to the queens, the queens told them the storm wyverns are our friends because they always help fight off the dragon when the dragon would come in in the past. And the dragon we know is still around. And so we'll help you out if you help us do something about the dragon the next time the dragon shows up, basically. I mean, they didn't say that in so many words, but that's basically the idea the party got from the queens, that, you know, if they help uh, defeat the dragons, they'll get the queens on their side and it'll be a lot better. Anyway, so what happens is the cleric casts divine intervention. And divine intervention only has like a 10% chance. It only has a percentage chance of working same as your level and she's level 10. Mm-hmm. And so she has only got like a 10 or 12% chance for this thing to work. And she rolled a 17. <laughs> so she was very close, but her mom is also a cleric. So I was like, and they're both clerics of the same deity. So I was like, okay, the mom is praying the same before she rolled. I said, okay, you notice that as you start sort of calming yourself to, to utter this prayer, your mom is doing the same thing. She knows exactly what you're doing. She's doing the same thing. So because she rolled, I, so I added their, their amount. So that means they really had a 20% chance, but I didn't tell her. I just said, okay, you've got a 10% chance, right? So she rolled a 17. So it worked. And this big watery hand, cause their God, their deity is the God of storms. This big watery hand came out, almost like a big tsunami and and washed away the dragon and pulled it into the sea and it did not fly back out again. So they succeeded. The mom passes out. By the time they figure out, okay, we're safe, we can pick her up, we can get back to the palace, they get back to the to the royal grounds and they learn that the abbot of Straben, which is not their deity, but is also a deity of the sea, um, the abbot of Straben has claimed that he's the one that called the hand. And so the royal house is producing, they're, they're setting up for a celebration to celebrate the victory and the power of their abbot, who is the main, you know, abbot in the town. And so, of course, the cleric's player is pissed because <laughs> it took her like that. She did that, she thinks, right? I mean, but then they start thinking about it and they're like, well, maybe we don't know. Maybe it didn't actually work and we're not really sure. And so then they start questioning it. So that that was really fun. Um and then uh so then the next so that was the end of that session. So then the next session. They decide to split the party, and two of them stay in the royal on the royal grounds so that they can go to the celebratory ball, and they're going to try to question the queens and the abbot about what actually happened and try to sort of plant the seed of, you know, maybe the abbot's not really responsible for this. Like, we have some evidence indicating that he's not solely responsible or, or responsible at all. We're not – like, there, there's some question. And the other two go to try to go to town, go into the town and help clean up some of the mess because, of course, the dragon was setting things on fire and blowing sticky, nasty, poisonous grease all over everything. And 
and there were lots of people that were burnt and poisoned. And then there were the ships in the harbor that when the big watery hand tsunami came out, of course, it, it, it made some of those ships move and they lost all their cargo. So there's a bunch of cargo out in the bay. And so they went, two of them went down to help clean that up. And when they go down to help clean that up, the cleric goes into where they have a little triage area where they're housing all of the people who've been burned. And she goes to heal one of them. And these beams of healing energy sweep out and heal every single person in the room. And she has no idea what caused that or what's going on. But when they at, you know, they're shocked and, you know, she doesn't want to be in the spotlight, but they're absolutely shocked. They're like, oh, my God, you know, like, this is amazing. What did you do? You you must be a chosen one. And, you know, what's your name? But she's afraid to tell him her own name. So she tells him her mom's name. So meanwhile, the, the other character is going and trying to help people at the docks and try to figure out what's going on. And she sees, you know, everything that's happening and she talks to her crew and, and makes sure everything is settled. And they start going back to they end up uh, going back to the um, they're, they're about to go back to the palace. And she messages one of the other one of the characters who was at the ball and tells him, oh, you know, there's some healing and. Um, you know, uh, you know, there, there's all these things happening and, and we're going to come back, you know, how are you getting along? And they're like, oh, we're just about to see the abbot and we're going to talk to them. And as they're talking to the Queens, they mention that, um, they think that maybe there was some other powers going on and that Rayla has, you know, suffered, you know, she's passed out and she's suffered some sort of unconscious condition because of the power of, the magic that she brought forth to fight this dragon. And one of the assistants that uh, one of the advisors to the queen says, you know, pardon me. And he whispers to the queen, you know, that name Rayla, Rayla is out healing people and doing some amazing feats of, of, you know, of healing and, and of spreading the word of, you know, uh, and so word has already gotten back to people in the palace that all this stuff that happened. And so, so the queen say, wait, did you say Rayla? And so now they want to see Rayla. And so there's all these things happening and they talk to the abbot. And when they talk to the abbot, the sea elf, Konos, he actually, the abbot is, of course, holding court. He's having people kiss his ring and he's like wearing all of this, you know, fancy regalia. He's got vestments with like platinum coins sewn into them. And he's just, you know, talking about how, you know, blessed they are by Straben that, you know, he could use his, his power to call forth the tsunami and wipe away the dragon and leave the town intact and all this stuff. And so Konos, the sea elf PC, he, he can, you know, he has, uh, he has telepathic powers. So he, he uses telepathy. He hides and he peeks around a column and he uses telepathy to, to say to the abbot, I know that what you did and what you didn't do. And I know that, I know that you didn't do this on your own. And so, of course, the abbot starts freaking out like he doesn't know who's talking to him. And so that's that's kind of where they ended that. But it's a huge amount of fun because now they have a giant. Oh, so here's the thing, right? The vision that they had early on was the main villain leading a sea of undead creatures in the ocean in as a giant army to come and take over basically everything in the world, right? Well, what happens when you knock something dead into the ocean? Well, 
It's going to become part of the undead army. So now they're worried about having an underwater green and red dragon who is undead, who is going to, you know, so. um, Add add necrotic onto that. Right, exactly. So, so he's, so he's, he's going to be sort of a main thing that they're going to have to contend with again, still. So it's, it's a ton of fun. They're, they're getting up there in levels now. I think they're actually 12th level. I said 10th earlier, but I think mm-hmm. they might maybe they just went to 11th or 12th. But they're they're getting up there and it's starting to get to where they're learning enough. They now know how to reverse the whole event the sinking, which the whole thing that started all this was the world got swamped by water and everything sunk except for a f- some islands and so they've learned a whole ton about that and now they have learned that it is possible to reverse it. But with everything that's happened, they're questioning whether they should reverse it or how they – if they possibly can really reverse it because they're not sure that they're capable of doing it. So they're going to have to call on some some demonic powers or deific powers at some point, they think, maybe. Um, and it's going to be tough. So we're getting to the point where they're high enough levels that I can throw some really powerful stuff at them, and they can defeat it if not – if not fully head-on fight it and win, they can definitely defeat it. They're kind of squishy a little bit because, you know, three of them are basically spellcasters. It's a bard, a sea elf warlock, and a and a sorcerer. And then they have their cleric, who is really a ranged cleric. She's not really a an upfront, you know, type of, of fighting cleric who's a, who's a battle cleric who has a really good AC and high hit points. I mean, they're really they're relatively speaking a squishy party, but. They've got some interesting uses to some of their magic that can be can be interesting in the game, and it, and it turns into something really fun. But I have to really be careful because if I don't watch it, they could get knocked out pretty quickly too. Even though they're they're relatively powerful. So what I've done is I I have given them enough allies in the game that they can use those allies to help sway. The different situations so that they're not stuck just being you know us four against the world so to speak you know what i mean so so that's basically what's happening it's a lot of fun um the D brief uh actual play podcast moved over to the tome show so all those episodes are now on the tome show and uh the next one will be released later this week oh, at some you, point did you get all the backlog up i don't all the backlog is there, so if you just nice. click on it's, it's all it all. I backdated it so right. that it looks like it released in March or April or May or something like that. And so you just go to the actual play button, and they're all all in a row there, other than the latest one, which was released a couple weeks ago. Perfect. So awesome, um, great. So so we've all successfully gone significantly over our time, uh, but we are at a point now where job done. And we'll see if if Mike uh, bothers to stick around for this or if he doesn't want to hear from all of the rabble. Uh, but in terms of our contest, uh, now is your time. You should start typing in your questions, whether it's about our games or just things for advice or whatever. Uh, we might be able to take a few minutes uh, if we can keep Mike around. If not, then sure. Sam and I can can talk through your questions a little bit. We'll go a little long on tonight's episode, but... Um, so this will be a while thing. everyone is thinking of questions. Let me uh, plug a product that is going to release on the DMs Guild on Monday that I wrote some stuff for. It's called Scientific Secrets of Icewind Dale, and uh, it has a whole bunch of creatures and lore for your Rhyme of the Frost Maiden campaign. 
So there you go. There you go. So uh, Steal Your Mind has a question. He says, currently the Vampire Plateau Balkos is basically a surprise uh, surprise new player on the political scene. What would the new kingdom of undead do when faced with their nearest power of of a dragon-backed empire? There's a bunch of smaller nations surrounding both of these larger, powerful empires, but this undead kingdom is an actual surprise player on the scene. What's even possible? A dragon, a dragon empire versus an undead empire. Right. I don't know. Um, I mean, some details are probably like what you know, <laughs> what what kind of undead, what kind of dragons, how many, where are they physically located? Are they you know, is this like Empire of the Ghouls where they're all underground? Like that makes a difference. Well, I was gonna, um, I was gonna actually an alliance would be that. pretty cool. I was going to recommend, like, look at Midgard a little bit because they have an undead empire. They're not a vampires or whatever, but they and have, they have a, a dragon empire. And they have a dragon <laughs> empire, right? So, so, so just look and, see, Midgard look, look and see how well they get together and just do that, you know? Yeah. But it could be interesting. I mean, you could have, like, a, you know, treat it like it will get a little bit more eberron right? But treat it like the Cold War. So you have these nations, like, pretend it's, you know, Russia and Germany. And, you know, say, like, do they try to ally with one another? Does the vampires send, you know, do they send ambassadors over to the dragons to try to barter peace? Do the players get it? Is this a D&D? I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out is this a D&D game or not, because it says something that the new, I guess, by player, they don't mean player character. They mean well, like a new player in the, in the political you know, scene. Yeah, you know, a faction. So to me, like having that as a backdrop for what the characters do could be interesting. And then both sides could be working with the characters to try to get them one, you know, against one side or the other. And I think having like a, a powerful silver dragon that's sort of working with adventures on one side and a vampire that's working on the other, you know, and they're, they're, they're having to dance between the two. I think that that would be a fun way to go, but I would probably treat it a lot like backdrop and then let the, you know, sort of, sort of let, you know, bring the bring the focus down on the players and the characters and what they're doing on a on a session by session basis but have this backdrop of of everybody's worried because they're like man you know undead empire on one side dragon empire on the other right yeah right. i was actually going to i was going to say that um you should try to think about how anything affects the pcs so if it's backdrop too much, then it doesn't matter to them, right? They're not involved in it. But if they're and, – and that's okay if they're lower level and you just want kind of the murmurings to be around, but you don't really want them directly involved in it. But then eventually if you want them directly involved, I guess the thing you should ask yourself is how do you want them involved and how much do you want them involved? Because if you want them to actually be part of the – the emissaries or something that are creating a group that are going to go talk to or negotiate or parlay with the two empires, then that's a very different question than if they're just going to be, you know, people that are from one of the surrounding smaller kingdoms that's worried about being invaded. And so they have to decide, you know, how to make both of the bigger kingdoms happy without really disrupting their own kingdom that those are that would be two different campaigns right one of them where they have an actual part in the all the political stuff and one where they have a part only in their own kingdoms going on yeah yeah i think 
I, I'm, sorry, I'm thinking a little bit of the the was it the Ice Fire Peak adventure where like there's a dragon that shows up but you don't really deal with the dragon but you're kind of dealing with the after effects uh, of how the dragon's presence is impacting the the region and all the other peoples and all the trouble that's stirring up like that's where that's where I would depending on the level that's where I would go with this storyline right now, unless they're high enough level that no like let them become agents of one empire over another, you know, to, to infiltrate the other one or, or get into or disable both, right. Or disable, disable both. Yeah, people. So, uh, or, or, or store a war between them. So then you can take care of both at once. Or, or the PCs are kind of bit players, but kind of well-known in their small kingdom, and they start hearing about how the vampires forces are kind of infiltrating their basic militia. Right and and starting to take over that way in, in sort of a shadow takeover, not a direct onslaught. Right, and then you have to fight kind of the the shadow campaign. You can't really come out and accuse the vampire of, hey, you're just trying to directly take us over because that would, you know, that I would will, cause trouble. I will offer, you know, it it don't fall into the trap of focusing so much on this stuff that you're not thinking about what your next game is going to be like. Sure. Right. Like, you know, what, what's the story of uh, the people do it all the time. I do it all the time. Right. Yeah. What are the characters interested in? What are the background of the characters? What do they want to do? And what are you going to do in your next session? So to be, you know, I don't know. So sure. I'm, yeah, I'm going to recommend we try to lightning round these a little bit more because we still have like four, okay. four or five more and we're going to be here. all Go. night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, next <laughs> question is specifically for Sam. Is your Pantheon homebrew and what are the challenges of doing that? Um, yes, it is homebrew. And basically what I did was, uh, I made a sort of, it's like a, it's a probably 10 or 12 deities in the Pantheon. And then I gave each major racial group three or four of their own if they, so that way, if, if a player played a dwarf, they would have specific gods that they could choose from rather than, uh, rather than having to pick the, the quote unquote human gods or human deities. But it's a, it is literally a pantheistic world. So most of the deities, you know, are worshiped by multiple different types of groups of people. Um, and what are the challenges? Well, the cha- one of the challenges, the, the major challenge is actually, I love creating pantheons and having the little niches and having them have certain types of ceremonies and having, you know, like one specific rule for each deity about, you know, like there's one, there's one of the gods who always has their worships. If they're going to be worshiped, you have to be outside. And you have to it has to include dirt of some type, right? So you have to like have some dirt in your hand or something like that. Well, if that, if that, PC tries to go or if some followers try to go underground and perform a ritual or something that that's not going to work right and so that's a known thing so I love creating that sort of thing um, the challenge is when you're running a homebrew world the challenge with the with the pantheon is the same as anything else the players aren't as they just don't know to begin with right they don't know the date they don't know the pantheon they don't know the deities they don't really know how serious or not serious I'm going to take these right. the things that I that are written about it or the you know they don't automatically know the symbols right like okay in the forgotten realms everybody knows the symbols of the factions right if you've played D and D fifth edition for a, a little bit of time you're you know what a harp means right you know right so but in a homebrew world the players don't automatically know that so you have to be able to communicate with them how important or unimportant those things are that's the challenge okay. 
Uh, DM Pastor has a situation where it sounds like basically uh, his players got TPK'd by Strahd out in the wilderness of Barovia. And now he wants to have them – I keep saying he. Now they want to have, have them um, having been captured and run a prison break basically out of Castle Ravenloft uh, and wants advice on how to run a prison break in that sort of situation. Um, I think thinking about it situationally is always good to a point that mm-hmm. like, well, how would they be imprisoned? Like Strahd's really smart, but he's also super arrogant. So, and he kind of likes playing with him. Like he, he likes playing. He kind of doesn't mind if they escape, escape probably. Right. Like he doesn't. Yeah. So I think that he might, he would probably in, in, in specifically in Strahd, there's those cells the crazy flooded cells down in the lowest level of the tower. Yep, the dungeon and, there. Yeah, there's that dungeon down there. And him being th- them being thrown down there might be pretty cool. Them having to be brought in front of those two thrones. There's like the torture chamber with that's, the two thrones. And that's just down the hall. I, I was just so, there last, last Friday. Yeah, so that would be kind of a you know, fun thing there. And he's probably not even involved. Maybe he threw him to some of his, maybe he gave him to one of the, you know, one of the other vampires. Right. that are down there and they're having they're toying with them but the point is they're all they're bored and they're arrogant so it's easy for them to screw up and it's and easy can, for the characters to, to to get you know one of those two werewolves that emil tornescu is down there in those dungeons so he might be yep. a great like touchstone a, it's a great yeah. like he he knows kind of the 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 game here and if he can get them if he can be get them to be allies and, and break them out then he can sort of use that Maybe for get his goals like the whole, you know, the tricky bit with all this stuff is like, did they take their gear? And if they did, where's the gear? Right. You know, and the other one is, I think also right near that same room is the, is that uh, portal, the thing where you're, it your is. Group it's right left. behind so, the thrones, right behind the throne. So they have like an easy way out. Right. And, and, and Emil, well, em, they kind of have an easy that. way out anyway, because on the other end of the dungeons are one of the sets of stairs that goes all the way from the bottom, all the way to the top. And you can just walk up to the first floor and walk out. I mean, well, the dragons will come and except kick the dragons will get you. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have I have one piece of advice for this type of scenario. So they're they're imprisoned, they're trapped, um, and they don't have gear. So one of those things has to be easy to overcome. So you either make the actual escape relatively easy, but make it difficult for them to find their gear or challenging, mm-hmm. or you make the escape difficult, but the gear is stumbled upon relatively easily. Mm-hmm. That way, that way they get. A, a low point where they had a challenge, but they also got the high point of they overcame the first, you know, one of them right. really, really easily. And then you're, you're not hobbling them too much. Yeah. You know what knowing I how people feel with loss aversion, I would probably be more likely to give them, make it easy for them to get their gear and hard to get out. You know, you know what I might do if, if, if it hasn't happened yet, I might use this as an opportunity to go straight into the dinner. Like escape is easy. And you go up those stairs, and right at the top of those stairs on the first floor is the dining room. And Strahd's just standing there. Hey, please come on in. Let's let's have yeah, a meal. Hey, you and, up. and all of your gear is in you're there. Like, it's like I've like been waiting Jane's for gone, you. Right? They wake up in really nice bedrooms, and all their clothes right. are nice. And, <laughs> and they're like, "Will you join us for dinner at six? Like, oh right. sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I think yeah, that's it's <laughs> it's Strahd's manners, right? Like he's yeah, right. he's, like, so arrogant. Well, he's just like I've bested you, so I don't want to humiliate you right. anymore. So right. here's your armor sitting right in the chair. I mean. You, 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 can get your, right, you can get your gear back easy, but you got to have dinner with Strahd to get it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Next question. Um, okay, where'd I go? Um, Evil John wanted to – this looks like a fairly fast question. 
have you found that you can clear content faster playing online than at the table now that we've all achieved some proficiency with digital tool sets? I think yes. I feel like I'm going about as, about the same speed, maybe even a, a little faster, just because we're playing a little bit longer because um, we don't have to sk- plan travel time. You know, at the end of the night, you know, we don't have to quit right at ten thirty. If we go at ten forty five, eleven o'clock, we can find a better stopping point. We get a little squeeze a little bit more in. Um, but I'd say mine's pretty similar to what I'm it was finding, before. Yeah, I'm finding it to be faster in two specific ways. Uh, one way is that I now run initiative for the whole group every time. No one rolls for initiative in, in my games now. I have it set up with Avre to automatically roll initiative for everybody. And that just gets like the minute we're in combat, I just hit a, you know, I hit a keystroke. It goes ripping through initiative is set and off we go. So that's faster. It's, you know, people aren't crazy about it because like you're, you're trusting a different random number generation than you rolling dice, but whatever. And then, uh, the other way is like, I'm finding it a lot easier to use digital assets. So I, Mm -hmm. I use Dyson maps and I have on both the machines where I run my games, I have lasso copy and paste things where I can draw a very specific line around the part of the map, thus doing like a fog of war mm-hmm. and i will just lasso the part that they can see drop it into the ta- into the chat they see it they know where they are and off we go and that that has been a lot faster for me i don't even i kind of don't even remember how the hell i did it before like without online play right. you know and and so it would be very interesting when i run even my when my wife and i run our one-on-one dnd game we run online in the same room yeah which is so weird. Yeah, Although my, I'm going to set up a nice Dwarven Forge setup for it. My, like, my group has gotten to the point where I, the like finding the digital maps and the digital assets yeah, is so much so easier fast. than yeah. drawing it out and, and doing all of that. That I, yeah. My group has seri- – this was months ago when we didn't realize how long we'd be doing this. But we yeah. talked seriously about like we really like doing stuff in Roll20. We like the dynamic lighting. We like all this stuff. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could meet face to face and just have a screen with all the maps on it? Yeah, so, right. We're, we're, so I can, and I, I, yeah, I don't know what it will be like for me to run – to run games in person anymore, which freaks me out a little bit because I like right. playing. I yeah. like all my physical stuff. Yeah, we, I like and we miss books. each other. We miss the the minis. Yeah. You know, so, I I've done that thing where you have the screen up in the corner and you and you use the map and that's really fun and everything. And but but you at the same time you get that face to face interaction, so it's really good. My response to the actual question is a little bit different because my response is faster and slower. It depends on the group because my one group super fast. Yeah. We're like really good at it. Nobody has any technical issues. Everybody's smoothed along. They all know what the what the expectations are of the of the programs. My other group, technical difficulties every time, right. issues with them. And then because there's a map, they get hung up on movement and you know, well, what if I go over here? Well, what if I do this? And and then you know, revealing the map becomes difficult for some of them. And like it's just it becomes a a bogged down kind of game. So so. My answer is faster and slower depends on the group. All right. So I think that is the end of our questions. Thank you all of you for for asking questions. So that is that. Uh, I think we're all done with this episode. And Mike, I know, has to to head out. He's a very important person. Um, Yes. So make sure if you want to keep up with us and keep up the conversation, we have – we we have what? Facebook, Twitter, Discord, Patreon – I don't know. If there's a place where you want to, you want to be talking to us, I'll, I'll go out and make an account, uh, unless it's TikTok. I really don't want to make TikTok videos. Uh, so, <laughs> that's just me. None of us and I run, and I run these things. So. Uh, all right. Uh, that's this episode, and thanks for joining us. 
Oh, and say goodbye, guys. That's how goodbye. We- Bye, guys. <laughs>